So we were out of town uh, a couple days ago. We were coming back from Kansas City, and we stopped to get gas. And um, Christy was filling up the car, and I ran inside just to kind of get drinks and snacks for us. And as I come in there, and it was a small little kind of convenience store gas station, it was packed with people. And there was no way the number of people that were in that store had cars at the pumps. And I'm like, what in the world are all of these people doing in this gas station? It was under construction, so stuff is hanging from the ceiling. It's really small, honestly, a little dirty. I could not understand why everybody was in this gas station. And the lines at the register were five, six, and seven people deep. And I'm just there, you know, with a Gatorade and some candy bars. Like, that's all I want. Well, then all of a sudden it dawns on me as I start to hear people's conversation, they are lined up for lottery tickets. Have you heard about this? <laughs> right? There is a Mega Millions jackpot that will be worth $1.6 billion on Tuesday. So I will thank you in advance for your offering next week. I will appreciate that so very much. The Lord appreciates that. But it is unbelievable, all over the country, people are buying tickets at an unbelievable rate. And it's just so funny, I got an email when I got back in town that gave me some statistics about the lottery that I wanted to share with you. Do you know that your odds don't increase if you buy multiple tickets? Many people think, well, if I buy 20 tickets or 40 tickets, that increases my chances to win. It does not. In fact, um, it, they've lowered the odds of winning to increase the size of winnings. Does that make sense? So it's harder to win, and that way they generate more money. It used to be a 1 in 172 million chance to win, which those are great odds, right? 1 in 172 million. Now they've increased to 1 in 242 million for Powerball. Now the Mega Millions, it used to be 1 in 259 million. Now it's 1 in 302 million. And see, the way the lottery works is they dish, they dish out a lot of small prizes, a couple of bucks here, a couple of bucks there, so then you want to play more. And so that's how they keep increasing everything. And so they did a survey, and most people play the lottery out of guilt. They don't want to feel bad that if somebody else wins, that they didn't put their dollar or two in to try to win it. So it's this unbelievable thing. In California this past week, there were 200 tickets sold per second per second. And do you know why all of these people are buying these lottery tickets? Because they want to find freedom. They think if I can hit that jackpot, I have found freedom. I can quit my job. I can have everything I want. And most people equate freedom with finances. And so when these lotteries start to come, everybody starts to play. But if you followed any of these stories about people who have won the lottery, their life is terrible. They become a hostage to the money. They become a prisoner to the fame and to the money and to the power. But see, it's interesting because everybody's looking for freedom in life, but sometimes we look in all the wrong places. So we're going to continue to go through our, our, the Gospels. We're in Luke's Gospel right now as we kind of go through this Game Changers series. We're at Luke 13. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Luke 13. Jesus has been preaching about repentance of sin and the consequences if we don't repent of our sin. He's given the, the parable of the fig tree, that if the fig tree doesn't produce fruit, it's not worth anything. And as we look here at Luke 13, starting at verse 10, this is the last public time Jesus preaches in the synagogue. The last earthly time Jesus preaches in the synagogue. Okay, starting at verse 10, it says this. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. 
She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called, to her, called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with the wonderful things he was doing. You know, Luke lays out a scene here of where Jesus is and what he's doing. He's in the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was the center of the Jewish life. It wasn't just the spiritual center. It was the social center. It was the relational center. Everything revolved around what was happening in the synagogue. If you go back not too many years, it used to be what the church was like in this country. Sadly, that's not the way that it is today. But everything revolved around what was happening in the synagogue. And Jesus is there teaching. The synagogue would have people running it. The synagogue would have probably a a person that was overseeing everything. So there were leaders there from the synagogue. There were people there from the community. There were people who had been coming to synagogue their whole life that were there. It was very much like church. And it says that Jesus was there preaching. And then Luke tells us that a woman who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years had come in. She was bent over. She couldn't straight up. And sometimes if we read scripture, we think, well, that's all we need to know about this woman. But there's so much more to learn about her. Later, Jesus would call her a daughter of Abraham. Now, what does that mean? We go back to the Old Testament. Abraham was the father of the Jews. You remember when when God came to Abraham and he says, I will make you the father of many nations. Abraham was revered. Abraham was one that people knew about. They read about. They were taught about. So this woman was called a daughter of Abraham. She was in the covenant community. She was part of the faith community. People knew her. She had been coming to the synagogue probably her whole life. Now, it says she was crippled for 18 years, not from birth. So people probably saw her when she didn't have this debilitating disease, and then they saw her when she had it. And so if they saw her and she's been this way for 18 years, that means that she has been coming to the synagogue for a long time. That means she's heard the stories about the faithfulness of God. That means that she was taught the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That means she sang songs that were praising God. All of that to say was this was not her first rodeo. This was not the first time she stepped inside a place of worship. She was raised, quote unquote, in the church. She knew the story. She knew the song. She prayed the prayers. And yet she was crippled. She couldn't walk. She couldn't stand up really well. And if we look at this woman, we say, oh, we feel so bad for her. She is a prisoner in her own body. And we would be wrong. She's not a prisoner in her own body. Yes, is she a prisoner physically? Is she a prisoner socially? Is she a prisoner probably financially? Yes. But other than Jesus, she is the most free person in the room because she was in the right place and she was doing the right thing. She was in the presence of Jesus and she was worshiping. See, she was free spiritually. She always knew God was faithful. She always knew God was good. Even as she suffered, even as she struggled, she knew God was good. And she came to church even when it was hard. 
She came to church even when she would wake up and be in incredible pain. She came to church. She came to church even when everybody was going to stare at her because she was bent over and she couldn't walk. She still came to church. Why? Because she knew in God there was freedom. So she in no way is a victim. She's free. She's free because she knew that in Christ there's freedom. She was in the right place and she was doing the right thing. She was in the presence of Christ. And when she was in the presence of Christ, she was worshiping him. She was trusting him. She knew that Jesus Christ can bring freedom. See, we have to make sure we are in the right place and that we're doing the right thing. We can't just be in the presence of Christ. We have to be worshiping Christ. That is such a big deal to understand. Game changers are in the right place and game changers are doing the right thing. They're in the presence of Christ. Years ago, I had the privilege to go on a mission trip to Haiti. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And the city of Port-au-Prince is the poorest city in Haiti. And that's where we went. We went down to, to help build a hospital. We went down to love on people. And, and we went down as a team saying, we want to bless these people. They have nothing. They live in abject poverty. And when I say poverty, I can't even begin to describe it. I can only think of the movie Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, where the only light at night was torches, where there's raw sewage that's just everywhere flowing. And people are in there trying to find food. They had nothing. There's no electricity. There's no internet. There's nothing. And so we go down and, and we get there, you know, one of the first things we do is we want to have a worship service. And their worship service was a slab of concrete with kind of a, a tin roof on the top. And as people started coming into worship that morning, they kept coming and they kept coming and they kept coming. And we're like, there aren't enough people around here that are coming from here. People were walking three and four miles through raw sewage to come to worship. And when I say we worshiped, we worshiped not one not two, but three hours. Don't worry, we're not going to go three hours today. I know you're all like, oh, he's getting real now. <laughs> and for three hours, in a language that I didn't understand, I understood clearly. We were praising God. We were worshiping God. People were responding to God. These people weren't just in the right place. They were doing the right thing. They were praising God. It was the most lively, energized, praised worship service I've ever been at before or since. Because these people said, we want to be in the presence of God. And we want to worship God because there is freedom in God. There's freedom in Christ. And they came as free people. And guess who were the people that were prisoners? It was us. We were held prisoners Say, well, it's going longer than an hour. They're raising hands. They're dancing. We were prisoners to our religious style where they were free. They were free. We were just praising God. See, there's freedom in Christ, but you've got to be in the right place and you've got to be doing the right thing. We thought we were free, but it turns out we weren't. So we have to ask the question, where do you seek freedom? Where do you seek freedom in your life? If it's not in the presence of Christ and if it's not worshiping Christ, then you're going to become a prisoner to life. This woman, when she came in, she came in late to worship. Oh boy, look out, right? She comes in late to worship. And what happens when you come in late to worship? You come right to the front row. No, nobody ever comes to the front row when they come in late. She sat in the back. She sits in the back. And you say, all right, hey, she's in the right place. She's doing the right thing. That's enough, right? 
Hey, I'm here, I'm worshiping, where's the blessing? And sometimes we can think that just being in the right place and just doing the right thing is all that we need to do for God to bring us blessing. That's not the case. See, we have to engage Jesus Christ. We have to engage Jesus. If not, it just becomes a routine. It just becomes checking a box. I've told you this story many times. When I was in college, I knew there were 52 Sundays in a year. And as long as I was at church 52 times in a calendar year, then I said, God, that's all you want from me. So there were some Sundays I was going to three and four services because I was going to hit that 52. See, it's not just enough about being there and doing it. You have to engage Christ. Now, nobody ever likes to come in late. But can you imagine? Here's Jesus. He is teaching. He is preaching. I mean, this is Jesus. He's bringing it. And what does Scripture tell us that he do? It says, when Jesus saw her, uh-oh, Jesus just saw you walk in late. That, that's, that's a rough moment right there. Jesus saw her. He also saw her unmet needs. He saw her pain. He saw her suffering. He saw that she was ostracized probably by the faith community. For 18 years, he saw how she longed to be able to have relationships. He saw how she longed to be like everybody else. He saw her heart. He saw everything about her. She comes in late, and what does Jesus do? Listen to what Luke tells us. He called her forward. And here's the game-changing moment. Jesus called her forward. What would she do? Jesus says, I know you're in pain. I know you're suffering. I know it's been 18 long years. I know you've been coming here for 18 years and nothing's changed. And I'm calling you forward. What are you going to do? And that's the moment. That's the moment every one of us has to have in our life. What are you going to do when Jesus calls you forward? Because he's going to call. It's by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to call us. What will we do? Will we respond? Imagine the thoughts going through that woman's head. I'm in the back row and Jesus has called me forward. What do I do? If I come forward with my back hunched over and everybody's seeing me, everybody's going to look at me. They're going to stare at me. I'm going to be saying to the world, yes, I'm crippled. Yes, I'm in pain. Yes, I'm suffering. Am I willing to take those steps? Because the whole service just stopped. Everything stopped, and it's Jesus and this woman and everybody else, and it's her moment. It's her moment. Will she respond to Christ's calling, or will she just stay in the back? And say, I'll just keep staying in the back like I have been for 18, 20 years, however old she is. Say, maybe it'll just get better if I just stay in the back and just kind of be in the right place and do the right thing. See, it's about coming forward. It's about coming forward. And she had to take each painful step. And she didn't walk up quick. It probably took her a minute because she had to walk slow in front of everybody and all eyes were on her. But she said, I'm coming to Jesus because I know there's freedom in Jesus. And if Jesus calls me forward, I'm going to walk forward. I don't care if it's painful. I don't care if it's public. I don't care what anybody else thinks because I know that if Jesus Christ calls me forward, I know that freedom is coming. And she comes forward. And then Jesus says to her only, only what Jesus can say. He says, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Only Jesus can set us free. Only Jesus. Religion couldn't set her free. The synagogue couldn't set her free. Church can't set you free. A new job, a new car, a new friend, a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend. None of those things can set us free. Only Jesus can set us free. 
But we got to say, I'm coming forward. Are we going to just sit? Or are we going to come forward when Jesus calls? Imagine that moment in the synagogue. Everybody's there. And somebody that's been suffering for 18 years, all of a sudden, Jesus says, you're free. And it says, she straightened up. She straightened up. She hasn't stood straight up, and we don't know how long. She stood straight up. And you think the place would have gone crazy like down at Memorial Stadium. You would have thought there was praising and people raising hands and dancing in the aisles. But that's not what happened. The synagogue ruler, he was like, no, 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 no. And he looks at everybody there. He doesn't look at Jesus. He looks at everybody there, and he says, six days is when you can get healed. The seventh day, you can't. What he was essentially saying is, this guy doesn't know the scriptures. Picture that moment. He's saying to Jesus, this guy, he doesn't know the scriptures. I know the scriptures. Because he was the synagogue ruler. He was caught up in the law and he missed out on love. He missed his aha moment. He missed this game-changing moment because he was caught up in the process and not the person. He missed it. He missed it because he, he thought that this woman shouldn't be healed because of the day of the week. See, the Sabbath was on Saturday. And this was happening on Saturday. And he thought, no, 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 you need to wait till the next day. Well, Jesus just, he calls, calls the, the synagogue ruler out. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you all have ox and donkeys? Do you untie it on the Sabbath and take it to water so that it can drink? And yet you're telling this woman that she's got to wait one more day. On a technicality, one more day she's got to wait. And see, that's what the devil does. The devil says, one day you'll be free. One day you'll find that freedom from what oppresses you. One day you'll be free financially. One day you'll be free relationally. One day you'll be free from your past. One day you'll be free from that fear or that anxiety or that doubt. One day. What Jesus says, it's today. See, we got to stop living for one day and start living for today. And the only way we can find freedom today is if we come forward to Christ. When we come forward, when Jesus calls us. See, it's not just about saying, I'll be in the right place and I'll do the right thing. It's, no, I'm going to engage Christ and I'm going to come forward. That's a game-changing moment. That when Christ calls you, you respond and you come forward. And this woman did. And these guys missed it. They missed it. Jesus calls them out. In fact, he calls them hypocrites. And this is not the first time that he's called the religious people hypocrites. If we go back and if we just look, he says this in Luke 11. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. Jesus says, you guys don't get it. See, religion can make you a prisoner. Jesus will make you free. Religious thinking will make you a prisoner. The words of Christ will make you free. Did you notice how when Jesus healed her, it was his word? Then he put his hands on her. He put his hands on her just to show how personal and loving he is. His word, he said, woman, you are free. See, the word that Jesus spoke healed her. And the word of God can heal us. It's the word of God that brings freedom. But we have to come forward to receive the word of God. And Jesus spoke that word and it says the woman, well, she straightened up. And you know, this is not the first time that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. 
by the way. We can go back and look in Mark. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He heals a man with a shriveled hand. In Luke 14, he heals a man with leprosy. In John 5, he heals a lame man uh, at the pool. In John 9, he heals a blind man. Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. Jesus is, is about healing. He's about hoping. Game changers know that you got to be in the right place. you got to do the right thing. And you got to come forward so that you can find the freedom that only Christ has to offer. But what does this woman do? Once, once she's straightened up, what does she do? Does she run and tell her family? Does she, does she run and put it on social media? What does this woman do the second that she finds freedom in Christ? She started praising God. She started praising God because when she said, I have freedom in Christ, I'm going to praise God. I got healed on the Sabbath and I'm going to praise on the Sabbath. She knew that the Sabbath was about praising God. It was about a relationship. It was about the love that God has for us and the love we have for God. See, the religious people, they thought it was about the law. There's nothing that says that we, we are called to love God and love others on the Sabbath. What we're called not to do is do all for ourselves. We're called about being in relationship with God and relationship with others. And she starts praising God because she understood the power that there's freedom on the Sabbath. When I was in seminary, I was a maniac studier. Maniac. I studied every single free second that I had. To the point, and Christy will tell you this, she would quiz me at the dinner table and I would literally fall asleep into my cereal because I was obsessed I studied Monday through Sunday every free moment that I had. And finally, we talked about it, and Christy said, you have to stop. She said, why don't we stop with the studying on Sunday? Take one day and don't study. I thought, there's no way. I'll miss out on all those opportunities. But thankfully, my wife is much smarter than me. And so we stopped studying on Sunday. And do you know how much I looked forward to Sundays? There was a freedom in Sundays, I could just exhale. I could just worship. And my grades got better. See, there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom when we understand what the Sabbath is for. See, I was, I was a prisoner to my studies. I was a prisoner to seminary. I was a prisoner to trying to be better, trying to be smarter. How many of us are prisoners when it comes to, to being in the right place and worshiping God on Sunday mornings. How many times are we are prisoner to our jobs? Well, I can't worship. How many times are we are prisoner to kids' activities? I can't worship. How many times am I a prisoner? Because I got stuff to do. We think they're all things, but they make us prisoners. And we miss out on the freedom that is in Christ that we gather as the body and we worship God and we praise God and we find freedom in Christ. But the devil wants to say, not today, someday. Jesus says, today. There is freedom in Christ. See, game changers have an attitude of gratitude. We've all heard that expression. This woman was so grateful that Jesus healed her. She straightened up and she began to praise. I bet you there was some raising hands and some dancing going on. Because she was so grateful that she found freedom in Christ. Where are we looking for freedom? There's not freedom in what we do. There's not freedom in what we have. There's not freedom in what other people think of us. There's freedom in Christ. Look, there are people that are literally going to be praying that on Tuesday the numbers come up, that they get their freedom of $1.6 billion, and I hope it's here, and I hope it's in our church. I do. But that's not real freedom, is it? It's not real freedom. Real freedom 
is in Christ. No matter what your circumstances, you don't have to be held hostage by your past. You don't have to be a prisoner to your addiction. You don't have to, to, be, to be imprisoned by fear and doubt and worry and anxiety. And I don't know. There is freedom in Christ. But you've got to come forward when Christ calls if you truly want the freedom. I'm going to ask Sarah to come back up. And I want to, I want to share this last thing with you. For two years, for two years, we have been praying for Andrew Brunson, a pastor from the EPC, who was wrongfully imprisoned in Turkey for two years. He suffered greatly. He was away from his family. He didn't have the creature comforts that we have. He didn't have the access to food and medical like you would have in this country. And we had an entire nation that was praying for him. We had our government get involved so that he could hopefully be freed. And we prayed that, Lord, we don't want him to be there. We want him to be free. But can I tell you this? Andrew Brunson was never a prisoner. He was always free because he had his hope in Christ. He was always free because he knew that Jesus Christ was his Savior. And when he was released, I don't know if you saw this, he was interviewed and they said, well, now that you're finally free, what is it that you're going to do now? He could have said, I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to step back. I'm going to, he said, I'm going to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as long as I live. That's a man who's free. That's not a man who's a prisoner. He's free. I'm going to ask us to do something that may not be something that everybody's comfortable with. Sarah's going to play. All of us can feel like we're a prisoner to something. We can feel like we're a prisoner to fear. We're a prisoner to anxiety or doubt. Maybe we're worried about our kids or our grandkids. Maybe it's that job. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's our country. I don't know, but I know that all of us can feel like we're a prisoner to maybe expectations. Or maybe we're a prisoner to our past, that we don't feel that we deserve for God to love us because, well, we haven't lived the best life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And then I want to ask you to, to really to wrestle for a minute with what is it that is holding you prisoner in your life that's keeping you from experiencing the game-changing freedom that is in Christ. And then I'm going to ask you just to walk up. I'm going to ask you to come up here, and we're going to pray over you. You don't have to, you don't have to say anything, but just come forward. We, we, we learned in this texture, it's not, it's not just enough about being in the right place and doing the right thing. It's about responding when Jesus says, come forward. And so we're going to say, we want people to come forward. If you feel like you're a prisoner of anything in your life, you don't have to say it. God knows it. Just come forward and we want to pray over you. We want you to experience the true freedom that comes in Christ. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, to close your eyes, and to just wrestle. What is that thing that is holding you hostage? That thing that makes you a prisoner. That you feel like you can't really be free of it. It's always there in the back of your mind. A little bit of doubt. A little bit of worry. Anxiety. Not knowing what the future holds. You want to be free. Maybe it's even an addiction. An addiction to technology. Alcohol, drugs, sex. Maybe it's a marriage that just right now isn't in a good spot and you just want to be free of the arguments 
Maybe you're not on the same page with your kids. If you want that freedom, that freedom that only Jesus can give, that freedom, and he said, woman, you are free. It's about coming forward. It's about knowing that Christ will give us freedom. I want to ask you now that as you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, that I know that God's working in somebody's heart right now and they're, they want to come up, but they're scared to come up. And it just takes the first person that comes up and then more people will come. Take that step of faith. Come forward. Just come forward and, and receive that freedom that only comes in Christ.